My name is Scott Chaloner and you are listening to the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. Now, as regular listeners of our show will know very well, part of our mission here at the Leaders' Council is to bring you a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership and current affairs. And to this end, I'm delighted to be joined on today's show by Kevin M. Thompson and Chris Masters, co-founders of The Wow Business, uh, Sally Thompson, barrister and chief engagement officer at The Wow, and of course, Flexicon. Care UK founder Jeanette Phillips. Uh, welcome all of you and thank you ever so much for joining us on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you for having us. It's my pleasure and um, it's sad isn't it that we're actually recording this podcast um, in December of uh, 2022 at a time where the severity of the cost of living crisis is making households in the UK really feel the pinch and there are widespread public sector strikes amid rows over pay rises and working conditions and among these um, we're seeing NHS nurses across the UK um, preparing to strike in September and that also goes for paramedics and this is an entirely unprecedented situation isn't it so um, Um, I should mention to those tuning into today's show that today's podcast guests actually co-authored a report titled Strike for Pay, which suggests that the pay dispute within the NHS and social care actually goes far beyond salaries alone. And uh, we will be getting into the reasoning behind the strikes in a little bit more detail um, as part of this discussion. But first and foremost, I think it's important to talk about where we're at. And um, it might make sense here to uh, start with yourself, uh, Jeanette. Um, The NHS... NHS is facing an unprecedented situation, isn't it? We're seeing record waiting lists and ambulance response times, highest on record. And uh, there are also record waits, aren't there, to be seen by A&E departments. And um, when we look at why this is happening, uh, the word bed blocking often comes up. And this is because there are patients in hospital that are medically fit to be discharged, but who can't actually leave. And why do we think this is happening? Because this ties in very closely with the social care sector, doesn't it? Yes, God. I think it's I think it's a cumulative thing. I don't think it's only over the last two decades. I think the um, sort of failure to prepare for it two decades ago. Anyway, we are where we are. However, there are great innovative things coming out now. We learned this week about um, a, a trust. Up north, uh, Sir Jim, uh, moving clients from hospital to nursing homes, which is fantastic. But I think the coordinated response to this needs um, to have home care at the sort of end of the line, really. So my suggestion when we did this HSJ podcast was, was maybe we could link up with this type of innovative thinking, because um, it, it's just creating a sort of um, a thorough where we can people can feel safe they can move on we are at capacity at FlexiCare and um, we're bringing people in from all directions from around the country putting them up in hotels so we're thinking completely different to keep one Gloucestershire operating so because we can only control the controllable Scott and uh, one of my colleagues said we can't borrow the ocean we're concentrating on one Gloucestershire to make sure that we get it right with, in terms of health and well-being um, keeping helping the hospitals to move on because if we can get one model right that works, then we can upscale it. And and that's what the discussions we've had this morning with our Flexicare UK team about building more hubs and hublets in Gloucestershire and physically uploading them at the same time as building health and wellbeing. So it's but it doesn't help us where we are now in this very mm. second. Um, I'm trying as hard as I can because I've tried for 25 years to try and 
get a bit more innovation into the system, but it's it's difficult because we are now at capacity and we've we've utilised every bit of innovative thinking that I can possibly think of has been utilised, but we've still ended up at physical capacity with our um, 175 people, including management, all working. So, so this fluctuation point gets reached very quickly, and that's what's happened, I think, with the hospitals and the nursing homes. And um, it's where do we go from here? So I know I should be coming up with solutions, but um, at the moment I'm sat here literally scratching my head thinking, we've got every bit of resource out working in Gloucestershire, and it's just trying to get our local area right. And I'm sure this would help the rest of the country, but there's pockets of really great things happening. Um, and I was really warm to hear about the, the, the trust up north with the nursing mm. homes. That's fantastic. Mm. So we're trying to build in health and well-being at the same time as as, as get everything going. And we've got a minibus, Scott. We we get the minibus out. For instance, here's a solution. Mm. You know, with the ambulances on strike, I mean, I drive the minibus and we can go around. We could bring people into hospital if they needed to go. We It's... Working completely off-piste now because it's really, really unprecedented times. And I think unprecedented times needs unprecedented action. We've got two big vehicles sat outside, a big motorhome and a big minibus. And if necessary, we'll, we will utilise them in this winter. We will do whatever it takes. But it can only work in our small small area, which is our laboratory. I'm not, I know I'm not being very helpful, but does that make any sense? It does absolutely, and um, I think it's um, we're we're seeing indications of this even when patients are looking to try and actually get to hospital themselves as well, aren't we? I mean, it's like a lot patients are finding new ways rather than waiting for ambulances to get to hospital as well, and this is where we're at. I mean, with these record response times, I mean, there's having to be innovative solutions, and that's having to sort of uh, rub off into the uh, the social care sector as well. And um, I think it's important to uh, to also note here um, that we're not just seeing strikes in the NHS, are we? It's something that is um, happening all across the uh, the public sector. There have been well-documented issues with sort of postal strikes, rail strikes, and interestingly as well, uh, there was a dispute involving the uh, the barristers as well going on strike earlier in the year over legal aid. And while there's a settlement that's been reached there, um, and I'm looking at sort of uh, yourself here, Sally, to talk about this side yeah. of things, um, obviously there are good reasons why the barristers went on strike, but given that that dispute is now being resolved do you think that the 15 percent increase in legal aid fees that was negotiated has maybe sort of set a precedent perhaps and now there's expectations across the public sector that oh well this is also what we should be getting well i think it's important to look at the historical context because mm. um there hasn't been a rise in legal aid uh rates for a considerable number of years um and what has happened is that um, criminal legal aid firms have been going to the wall because it, it's the, the rates are such that it's extremely difficult uh, to um, have a viable criminal practice. And um, if I can tell you that the average age of duty solicitors, and duty solicitors are the ones who, if, if you find yourself unfortunately arrested and at the police station and you want some free legal advice, it's mm. the duty solicitor who comes out um, at no cost to you, funded by the government, uh, to to assist you through um, the police station process. Um, and also duty solicitors are on duty at court uh, if you go for a first court appearance. And um, 
you don't have your own solicitor. And this captures people who are new, if you like, to the criminal justice system. Um, uh, I think I think that one of the issues, certainly with the criminal justice system, is that um, it's it's a very neglected area because uh, the criminal community don't really excite a lot of public sympathy. Mm. <laughs> and um, but nonetheless, um, it's an important area of public work. And, and the average age of GP solicitors has risen from 47 to 49. So um, in the way that we're, we're seeing a lot of general practitioners retiring um, because uh, the, the pressures on, uh, on, on practicing are so great. Um, and, and there are that we haven't got the fresh blood coming through, and exactly the same thing is happening uh, in the uh, in the legal area. Um, so there aren't young uh, uh, lawyers coming through either uh, uh, to qualify as uh, criminal uh, solicitors or uh, to qualify as criminal barristers. So we have, I think, a recruitment crisis. Um, in two areas of the public sector. Mm. Um, and this really is the result of many, many decades of underinvestment in the public sector. And if we look to our neighbours on the continent, um, their uh, tax levels are higher than ours, uh, mostly through um, uh, greater national insurance contributions. Um, and so they can fund better social uh, and public services. So I think we really have to think about what sort of a society we want. Are we going to have a society that looks after the weak and the vulnerable and looks after its public servants? Because we are servants. We are there to serve the public. Uh, if we want that, then um, it has to be paid for. And um, the, the answer, as, as we know from um, the, the recent disastrous um, budget um, from this trust, Mm. The answer is not to go into some sort of freefall, um, but uh, all of this has to be costed and paid for. Um, and so we need to have a serious discussion uh, about public funding. Absolutely. And you talked about, of course, that word neglected. And I think a lot of the public sector, certainly um, nurses within the NHS, do feel neglected given essentially how sort of pe- their pay has been sort of stagnating over the course of the uh, the last uh, the last few years. And uh, I think when we talk about the fact that the sector is underfunded and there are therefore workforce issues, I think the fact that there are limited resources that are being immensely stretched by uh, the pressure and the demand that they're facing, that's feeding into the whole sort of well-being side of things, isn't it? And that's very much what Strike for Pay focuses on. And um, if we look at um, that uh, that report and what's contained within it, um, there's reference to uh, financial well-being and financial health, both of which feed into the wider issues behind the fact that industrial action is going to be uh, going to be taking place. Um, coming over to uh, yourself now, then, uh, Chris, and I want to talk about sort of financial health and financial well-being. And just for those individuals that haven't read the Strike for Pay report, what's the uh, the distinction between the uh, the two things first and foremost? Um, hi, Scott. Um, financial well-being has become a buzzword in our industry. I'm a, I'm a financial planning practitioner. And our industry is focusing very much on whether people's income exceeds their outgoing and whether they have 
kind of emergency funds to cope with financial shocks. But I would view this very much as a as a measure of financial health rather than financial well-being. I guess if you're thinking well-being should really be centred around the quality of our relationships, mm. um, and that's relationships we have with ourselves and with those around us, then financial well-being is much more how we feel about those relationships, how we feel about how money is impacting our relationships. And also, if we're under a period where we are deeply stressful, um, for whatever reason we're under stress, then we know from psychology that decision-making really suffers under stress. And so the parts of the brain which deal with logic and language and the bits where we can make sensible decisions are really impacted by overall well-being. So when our well-being is poor, our decision-making suffers. When our decision-making suffers, then that has a knock-on effect to our financial health. So the difference really between the two is that I think people will look at the output of how are the finances looking from an income expenditure and how much money is in the bank perspective and say something's broken. But probably before we got to that position, someone's personal well-being um, was probably broken and that led to poor outcomes. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, it certainly does. So um, essentially what we're talking about here is that financial well-being, it feeds into sort of the personal and workplace well-being as well. And uh, do you think perhaps that there is, when we talk about sort of the uh, the importance of relationships here, do we think that a large part of the reason behind this sort of unwell-being that we're seeing developing within the NHS workforce is the fact that there's a reluctance to speak out? And that maybe stems from the fact that people almost feel like they can't talk about such personal things. I'd say massively so. I think there's um, lots of people suffer with poor financial health that has built up over many years. It kind of comes to a head at some point. But we know that there's a, a lot of shame associated with poor finances, so people don't like saying anything about it. It's a symptom at the end of a lot of what's gone before it. Um, and people don't like to admit when their money, or we don't talk about money, and we definitely don't like to talk about it, um, when our money is not as good as we think it should be. And I think as well what I've noticed for many years being a financial advisor is most people expect that everyone else's finances are in good order and that everyone else is really good at this stuff mm. and that they're the anomaly. But in fact, we know that most people find dealing with the day-to-day finance is pretty stressful. I think what we're seeing now is actually there's a group acceptance that there's a cost of living crisis for everybody. We're all kind of acknowledging that we have this issue and maybe we've had it for years so i think it's all coming out now and bubbling over um, and then the headlines that we're having a cost of living crisis just compound the stress that everyone's feeling that's it isn't it it's the fact that low pay combined with the cost of living crisis that essentially sort of as you say just compounds that stress that people are already facing um, certainly in the NHS because the workforce is being stretched by the fact that there's a recruitment crisis there they're therefore overburdened they're probably still burnt out from the pandemic and the subsequent effects on mental health all feed into this state of unwell-being that we're seeing within the uh, the health and social care workforce so we've established haven't we that it isn't just a case here of NHS nurses just wanting more money. It, there's a hell of a lot more to uh, to consider here. And uh, coming over to yourself now, uh, Kevin, I think it's important that we talk about sort of workplace well-being and the need for sort of real communication there. Um, we've got this crisis. 
but who is to take responsibility for it? Because surely NHS leadership should be promoting a culture where staff feel like they can openly talk about their well-being. And part of the problem is they feel like they can't speak out. Before I do, do that, Scott, let me just pick up on, on, on what my three teammates here have talked about. Chris said he's, he's talking about what's gone before. Mm. So if we start with what Jeanette was, was, was talking about, the, the issue, what's gone on before is all the investment has been in care. And um, I think we mentioned it on our, on our last podcast, when, when we uh, analysed uh, the CQC strategy document, Mm. There were over 100 uh, mentions of the word care and two of well-being. Mm. And so what we have is, is a, a, a strategy where, where we're looking at the, the end of the problem rather than the beginning of the problem. So we talk about prevention plus, plus, plus cure um, <clears throat> and we, we talk about well-being and care. So, so the, the focus, if you get it right at, at the beginning um, with the prevention, is we wouldn't be in in a state now uh, from all three levels of, of personal, financial, um, and also workplace well-being. And that then then in you, you, Sally talks about what we've had is an investment. It's not seen as an investment in the criminal balance. It's seen as a cost. And so uh, do, do we have decided that our services are important for us? Um, and and as barristers. Get older and the young kids don't come in. We've got a, we've got a, a failing system. The easy thing that people um, uh, can, can, can complain about is pay. So all of these all of these um, issues that, that's uh, going on strike and, and standing up with your banners. And it's very easy to talk about pay because it's a single simple message that you seem to get across. Mm. I think the sad thing about mentioning about pay is it's actually not about pay. It is much, much more than that about pay, and I obviously talk about the, the survey that we've, we've that we've just done. Um, and then, if you talk about uh, Chris talking about what's gone before, we we have a um, um, a culture where we we think that we're talking about financial well-being, but we're talking about financial health. But actually, I remember Chris telling me the story about him visiting uh, a couple. Um, and, and and inevitably, or many couples, and inevitably there's only one that he talks to. And that's come out in the survey. Things like, I daren't talk to my um, other half about, about money or finances. And it comes out again and again. So the issue here is we haven't got uh, what's gone before is there's not only not only a, a, a financial health uh, training, there isn't financial well-being training that says people need to be uh, understand that the relationships um, when you move into a marriage or a partnership or whatever, or for your kids, is is recognizing that your relationship with money is financial health. Your relationship with other people, and mostly yourself, is about financial well-being. So, I think that what's gone before is is the critical issue. Um, so specifically, we're trying to around the NHS. Um, uh, and the whole well-being industry, we're trying to now say what we need is uh, well-being um, plus care and prevention uh, plus cures, putting the two together. So that's that's the, the sort of strategic focus of where we, we are. And and happily to talk to you that, uh, fortunately, um, uh, behind all that, we, we now have the evidence to prove that it really isn't about pay. Um, it's about much, much more. 
Yeah, and looking at some of the evidence that the uh, the report actually uncovered and the surveys that went into the report found as well, um, you essentially look into that sort of trio of things, don't you? The workplace, the personal and the financial well-being within the NHS and social care. And from that came uh, net promoter scores to see exactly where the workforce was with regards to each. So what was uh, what was found in those numbers exactly? Well, I think there's two. The great thing is we we first did this as we're trying to build up our our whole approach to this in 2015 with YouGov. Um, Chris and I were in London and we were we're having a coffee, and I said, you know, we really need some 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 figures behind this. And I, and having dealt with YouGov before in a previous life, um, uh, we realised they were around the corner, and, and so off we went. And, and so we we've got a 2015 survey. Um, we then we then updated this in 2020, so to start tracking and trending, especially during the pandemic. And then we talked about we now need post-pandemic to um, to find out what's going on now. And talking to Jeanette uh, about this, I said, wouldn't it be great um, if we could actually do this in the NHS and care? So I spoke to the guys at UGov, and they, they have a thing called HCP, which is the Healthcare Professionals, um, a separate panel that they keep for this. And so Jeanette's uh, um, own research business, uh, which is funded by some government funding, she said she would sponsor that. So, so what we have is, is, is a direct comparison uh, between the UK uh, workplace, the omnibus, mm. and the, the healthcare profession, professionals, which is the NHS and the care sector. Um, what's really interesting is that there are there are uh, some uh, striking similarities, but there are also, if you think about it, it is a public sector, there are striking differences. But the one thing I would say is you can do a separate survey of NHS, you can do a separate survey of Omnibus UK, but then your your NHS and, and care worker will go home and their other half uh, uh, may will be doing something completely different in the private sector. And the conversations will therefore be the um, uh, uh, around both of those, so we've got we've got the the both of those to compare and contrast. Yeah, fantastic. So we've got the uh, the two sides of things there. And um, what are some of the similarities and the differences that are unearthed uh, with regards to the uh, the three sort of areas of well being? Well, you talk to, you talk about the NPS scores, and um, um, some people may not know, know not know what an NPS is. It's a it's been around for a long, long time, but by Bain invented the idea that said if you're a, if you go in and get your customer service and you get a great smile, Vodafone will be doing NPS on on you all the time. Mm-hmm. So if you give them a nine and a ten, what Bain said was that's really fabulous, and these guys are promoters. If you give them a six and a seven, they're sort of sitting on the fence and they're not really promoting or detracting from you. But anything up to a six, people are likely to moan. So what they did was they said, okay, let's get the percentages of those. So if everybody scored a 9 out of 10, then you would have 100% plus of a net promoter score, the NPS. If everybody scored a, a, a 0 to a 6, you'd have 100% detractors, so you'd have a minus 100%. But what they did was said, okay, well, let's take the detractors away from the promoters, and that'll end up with, with the, the net uh, score, the, the net NPS. So that was great. We've got that. But then as I started to look at these surveys, so, so much it popped, popped out again and again and again. There seemed to be similarities of what people were saying. And so we were able to say, okay, what I'll do is I'll take all of the detractors, tractors, I'll take all the negative comments and find out what it is that people are, are doing. 
And I came up with um, uh, what I'm calling the the non-promoter uh, um, score, mm. the, the no PS. And so what we now have is not just the NPSs. We, we have a, um, a, a subdivisions that say these are the critical areas. So not only do, do we know whether it's financial, personal, or, or, or um, um, organizational well-being, we also know the subsets of those. So your question was around what's, where are the similarities. Mm-hmm. So when it came to workplace well-being, what's really fascinating is, as you'd probably expect in the care sector, um, the NPSs aren't as bad. Um, they're not great, but they're not as bad in organizational well-being. So that's minus 39%. Whereas in the UK workplace, despite the pandemic, despite organizations and employers saying we need to focus on well-being, in terms of how often um, do you attend a well-being meeting, a nine, a 9 out of 10, and how often do you actually run one as a manager or a supervisor, 10 out of 10, we have a minus 64% score. Mm. Um, so, but that's not as bad as the in terms of your personal um, NPS scores, which are running um, in the UK workplace at 73%, or um, in terms of the NHS at 68%. So there's great similarities between the workplace and also the financial one is a minus 73 and a minus 76. So, th- so th- there are similarities in there but uh, fortunately, there is more well-being going on in the in the care sector. That's good. So at least, obviously, there's the uh, the positive side of things on the uh, the well-being side. But it just goes to show, doesn't it, that some of the issues that we're seeing within the NHS and social care they're permeating them um, into the private sector and other industries as well. So all of these issues need addressing. You know, personal well-being, workplace well-being, and financial well-being. Um, but is there one problem that essentially feeds into the others? I mean, is there a way that we can sort of go about a a real solution to this? Address one problem and hopefully the others get sorted with it. I think the, the, the single simple answer for all three areas is we, we desperately, desperately need to concentrate on well-being, financial well-being, uh, personal well-being, and, and, and workplace well-being, and move to this, as Chris says, what's gone on before. In 10 years' time, I hope that we can look back and say what's gone on from now is we recognise that, that uh, well-being in the UK um, of which Chris will tell you, um, he spotted a Deloitte survey that said you spend a pound on well-being, you get five pounds thirty back in terms of of, of all of this. So I, I think the single simple answer is we need to be concentrating on well-beings as well as well-being. Mm. And Scott, yeah, yes, oh, yeah. sorry, Scott, may, may I interject with a bit of historic research mm. in 2014. Bath University, Dr. Jermaine Ravalier, and when health and well-being was starting out, we, we took part in some research for health and well-being, and we came out on top of FlexiCare. And what the um, results of the research was is that if people feel they have control over their life and autonomy over their employment and how they work, they they were much more productive, better immune systems, and much more healthier. And this this research was. Seven, eight years ago, we came out top because the way that we run FlexiCare is very much um, flexible because that, I think that's one of the things that is the, the constraints within the NHS is the lack of flexibility. Mm-hmm. I, I left when I was 25 the NHS for that reason because we couldn't have the, couldn't have the flexibility. And if you give people control of their life and autonomy um, as well as an, an app for health and well-being, 
uh, as well as then ways that they can earn money in you know in different ways. And I think it's the it's just doing things differently is the way forward because by doing that you underpin health and well-being and getting the CQC on side and getting them to understand it. I'm being contacted by the lead research. Apparently, I'm on the research panel at the CQC, for, mm. so I'm not a big surprise. But I don't know how that happened. But basically, we will help more we can to to try and steer. The, um, the future within the parameters of what we can do, Scott. So sorry about that. No, and I suppose a massive congratulations is in order as well for essentially being on that uh, that research panel as well, and hopefully we can see some real positive influence moving forward. And um, I just want to take the discussion over to the uh, the five ways to well-being, something that's been enduring for quite a long time, because something that um, is is underpinned uh, within that is the importance of you know connections, relationships, and that's something that we talked about an awful lot today. So when we're talking about solutions here, relationships needs to be very much at the forefront of it, does it not? Yes, got the hope. Um, Sally coming mm-hmm. in there. Um, yes, co- connecting is um, well, we call it the number one way to well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the quality of your connections is is very key to um, the, the 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 level of well-being that you feel. Um, and um, it's noticeable uh, looking at um, the, the research that that we've commissioned that um, one significant difference that I see between the general UK workplace and the NHS um, is that there's a much greater unwillingness to talk to others about your personal issues. Um, Just looking at um, the figures uncovered there, I think um, uh, that that came up as a number two issue, 23% of NHS and care workers not uh, feeling able to, to talk about personal issues um, compared with 5% of the general workplace population. Um, and maybe there's a stigma attached to having personal issues uh, when you're working um, in, in the healthcare sector because you're there to help people feel better. So it's very hard to say, well, actually, I don't feel very good myself. Um, and certainly there were a lot of comments around people's mental health issues who were worried about disclosing them because they, they felt that their managers would, um, you know, uh, demote them or um, it, there would be bad repercussions for them. So we have the irony of, um, of a system that's supposed to be promoting health, um, actually not uh, supporting their own workers uh, when they have um, mental health issues. Mm. So, um, Scott, what we want to do... Is, is to just help everyone grasp the nettle really of, of well-being um, because the five ways are very well established. Um, they, they're grounded in research um, by the New Economic Foundation. They've been out there a long time. The, the trouble is everyone recognises they're a good thing, um, but no one's really doing it. And yeah. I'd say that it's a bit like, you know, you join a gym in January <laughs> and it's very hard get on the machines, isn't it? Because everyone's joined the gym. Mm. Um, but um, by the middle of February, um, suddenly um, there, there are half the number of people at the gym. So we all know what's good for us. It's, it's a way of actually applying it to our daily lives. Um, so our mission really is to uh, change this for five ways from being a, a poster campaign to being a programme um, that you know we will work with organisations um, to... I hope, inspire their workforce about well-being 
um, and um, give them support, give, give them uh, some technology uh, to help them to apply it and, and make it a practice. Um, because, you know, if you don't clean your teeth every day, mm. um, you know you're going to get some tooth decay. Uh, and it's a very similar thing with well-being. If you don't cross yourself um, at some point, um, things are going to unravel in terms of your physical and mental health. So, um, yeah, we, we're very, very uh, excited, really, to, to start working on developing our programme. And uh, we had a marvellous meeting with some of Jeanette's team today, because mm. uh, Care are going to be uh, our first clients in uh, putting this programme in uh, and promoting well-being uh, within organisations. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, the five ways to well-being are out there and well-documented, but now is the time for action to really turn what is policy and it's not being implemented into real and proper programmes that are going to make a difference because if we don't intervene now, then the situation that we're seeing within the NHS is likely only to, uh, to get worse. And so um, we're talking about sort of the, some of the optimism around the, uh, the solution that you sort of have in the pipeline. So just before we finish up, um, I'd like to talk about kind of where you're hoping to be with that. If we look at the next 12 months as a time, frame for instance what's next for the uh, the solution and what is it going to uh, to involve do we think well we have we have two approaches we call we call as, a, as an app and as an app Scott. Mm. our first app is a mnemonic which says you you need to have your analysis which we've now got with the uk benchmark uh, you need to then work out your priorities which the, the analysis gives you which is what I spent my life doing in internal communication, finding out where the problem was, and then your your final P is you need to move, um, as Sally says, from posters to to uh, a program. So that, and then from there, um, and uh, have to let you, uh, Chris, talk about it. He, he's invested um, uh, the, not just the last ten years, but the, the the last year working specifically on on an app for employers and a wonderful dashboard for employees. So, so we, we have we have the app which leads you to the program, and we have the the app which we've developed that gives you that, that ongoing daily ability to measure what you're doing. And from there, where what we're uh, our next stage is partners. Mm-hmm. And so we're currently talking now to uh, CQ, or we will be talking to CQC. We're talking about to Apple Healthcare. We're talking to HSJ. We're talking to um, uh, people like Dr. Shabri uh, Husser uh, around around one Gloucester. Uh, we're talking to academia. Um, Jeanette is Jeanette is is relentless and tireless <laughs> on, on finding partners who, who who understand we need to be talking uh, well-being uh, plus care. Academia, academia, oh, and, uh, yeah. yeah, academia and Apple. It, 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 I think. Scott, it's about personal relationships. We can execute our vision at the speed we can get buy-in from these people who want to come on the journey of change. So that's the, the key thing. You know, I think everybody does, but we've got to connect thinking to doing, which is what the CQC picked up in our outstanding report, who's particularly impressed with that. So it's this is all the thinking, and we are now, great meeting this morning, connecting it to doing. We're making it a physical reality. Mm. And building in health and well-being through, you know, for the next generation. So we're we're carrying on, and uh, we're, we're making some we're making some quite some waves now. Which I think the great thing that w- working with Jeanette Scott is it's fabulous that 
She has um, overall outstandings from the CQC on her hubs, hubs and hublet system. And what we've been doing um, is coming at it from a technology point of view. Mm -hmm. And so now we talk about a triple H of, of hybrid hubs and hublets putting together uh, um, well-being and, and care, but not just in the, in the, in the care sector, financial well-being, personal well-being, organizational well-being. Um, so people are talking about it, but not quite understanding what it is and how to do it. So part and parcel of what we've been trying to do is actually define it. So our iceberg of that, that triumvirate of well-being, um, uh, we think is a world first. The app that we're developing, allow, uh, um, which is called Moments, allows you to not not just see your your connecting, which you'll use your your social uh, networking, and you'll be active. You'll use your Fitbits, your your take notice. You'll use your Calms, your, your Keep Learnings. You'll use your Udemy's. Um, uh, you can put all of those. They're, they're all separate. Well-being actually is all five of those. So. We're, we're hoping that, that uh, we can pull all that together with a single simple concept that says well-being sits at the heart of your relationships and, and your, your health um, and your health as well. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it's fantastic to obviously hear that there's uh, some significant traction going on here and more and more people are coming on board with the uh, with the journey because it can't come a moment too soon, a solution as important as this. And hopefully um, over the uh, the next 12 months or so, we see some more positive news on this side of things. And it would be great actually to maybe review where we are at some point in the uh, the next few months just to see how it is all coming along. And hopefully people do cotton on to the, uh, the iceberg and how everything sort of fits together. Yeah, well, we're, we 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 hope that the plan is um, to keep things alive with with programs. You can go out with a customer service program. It is an employer app. It's not an app that you can that you can uh, get um, from the app store. It will be on the app store, um, but it's an employer and employee app. And so, to keep things alive, we will be running um, our YouGov surveys. Um, We'll run five a year, so every two months, and you better come back and say, "Now you can." We can talk about how you being active and and, and mm. what you're doing, and that ties in. Uh, that ties in with obesity issues, um, and it ties in with diabetes issues. And then you can start talking about take notice and, and understanding where 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 calm um, and mindfulness sits in. So we hope to be able to keep the, the everything alive with all the excitement and the news. Um, that allows well-being to be put at the heart of organisational policy um, as well as their practices. And certainly, let's hope that we do see that. Um, before, obviously, we do wrap up. Uh, does anybody else have anything to uh, to add? No, I think we've exhausted all avenues. I think I think I think it'd be great to hear from Chris on because he's been working so hard mm. on on moments the app. So, Chris, over to you. I'm going to drop a minute here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> As per usual, Kevin. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, we have been developing it for a year, and I guess when we started the, pro the process, we looked at these five ways thinking they've been well-established for a long time, but why is no one really grasping them and running them? Mm. And I think the world has moved on since 2008 when the Cameron government first kind of commissioned a piece of work, and we do all have phones, and we do all are used to using apps. So I think... The app gives us a, a common, familiar framework. But rather than an app telling you what to do, this is much more about you defining your own version 
what the five ways mean to you. So mm. I think lots of apps out there tell people what they should be doing for their well-being. Mm. The belief really in the system is that deep down we all know things that we can do and have done in the past that are good for us. And the app is a way of capturing that and really discovering who you are from a well-being perspective. And then once you've kind of identified what that looks like in your world, you will have a kind of framework, a model for you, but also something you can share with those around you. So, yeah, it's taken a while to get to where we are with it. Um, we're beta testing now, which is, and the initial results are very good. Mm. Um, yeah, and so now we just need to see where we roll it out with Selective Care and where we go from there. Absolutely. There as well, Scott, is, is that this, as you say, is an employer app. The employer gets a dashboard that allows the employee to actually connect with them, either, either, um, um, either saying who they are or anonymously. Um, and then, and then not only does the employee get how well they're doing against the five ways, but the employer gets to get to know with their dashboard how well they're doing with the five ways. So mm. in terms of changing what you say and what you do and what you look like, that will affect the company um, culture. Um, so by changing the climate of what people say and what they do and how they do it from the bottom up and, and letting people define their own, um, what that well-being means to them and how they're going about it, um, that's the process of moving from, uh, as we say, from uh, care to well-being and from cure to prevention. Exactly. It's all about tailoring it to the individual, isn't it? Because no one approach is going to be a one size fits all one, is it? So, so very important. And that's what this solution considers, which is absolutely fantastic. And let's hope that we do see the uh, the positive traction that it deserves over the course of the next few months and indeed beyond. And just a reminder to listeners as well, if uh, anything that we've talked about on today's programme does particularly resonate with you and you have a question or a comment to make on any of this, um, you can contact us and submit questions or comments and that will be via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash contact hyphen us um, any questions of course directed to our guests will of course forward directly on to them and also if you have your own perspective to bring directly to the discussion table on this or any other topical matter or issue then you too can apply to be on our program via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply as well um, for now it has been an immense pleasure welcoming kevin chris uh, Jeanette, and sally onto today's show thank you all for taking the time to join us on the program and by all means do take care and i'm sure we'll catch up on the uh, the show very soon in future happy christmas absolutely to all of our listeners tuning in i do hope that you all enjoy a very merry christmas and happy new year if i don't of course get to address you before very absolutely um and as always um on today's program i've been your host scott challoner on the leaders council podcast and until next time when we'll be back with a whole new perspective on leadership and current affairs please do take care all and goodbye